It's a good thing that the uh, worthy people would start, have started clearing out this out because this is actually a sermon that might require some moving around uh, today. Uh, some of you are, I hope all of you have somebody in your lives that, that uh, you know, if they were to come to visit, uh, they would, uh, uh, you'd be excited about it. I was thinking uh, uh, as, I, as I prepared this about what it was like, uh, like the day before Holly gets back from college. And, I, and I'm like, oh, she's going to be back, right? And she's been gone for a while. And, you know, and, I, and, and for the Allens, with Emily gone all summer uh, at, at camp, and, and many of you, you know, kids gone or, or friends, family gone, maybe, uh, um, uh, maybe for a long time. I think about military deployments, or uh, Rich just getting back from from one of those, and and uh, I want you to think about that person that you just, when they come to visit, or maybe they haven't come to visit, and that's the thing. But if they were visiting today, and when you woke up, what would be that be like? I mean, w- would you wake up and sort of? Maybe, maybe have a hard time waking up because you'd spend the whole night talking uh, with this person. But you wake up and you go, they're here, right? What are we going to do? What, what's on the agenda today? What, what are we going to do together? Now think if that person was Jesus, right? And, and, and you got to, you know, Jesus was, was literally coming to visit. You know, look, look who's coming for, for dinner. It's Jesus. And you spent all night, and, and you heard the talking, and you, and you were, uh, and, and he was teaching, and he was showing. Maybe he was healing people. Maybe he was even raising people from the dead. What would it be like that morning? You, know, you eventually have to fall asleep. But at one point, you wake up, and you, and, and you just let me look around. And say, Jesus is here. What, what are we going to do? What, what is he going to show us today? Wouldn't that be... Um, fantastic. Could there be anything better than having Jesus walking with you in the flesh? Today we're going to talk about something that the Bible tells us would be better than that, and it's the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of uh, confusion, a lot of debate in the church about who the, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, a lot of uh, confusion in that. And uh, some of us are prone to minimize who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, maybe we, uh, um, we, we've been taught in our minds that, that all three persons uh, of the Trinity are equal. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we know that in our minds, but if we we're honest with how we live, we'd say, well, but the Holy Spirit's, he's not quite like those other two. You know, you've got Jesus, right? And, 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 and he's Jesus, and you've got God, and he created the whole world, and then they sent the Holy Spirit uh, as well. And, and when we have that attitude, uh, we quench uh, the Spirit, but we, we don't call it quenching the Spirit, we call it being re- reverent, and, and respectful, and, uh, and maybe we restrain some of those who seem a little bit too exuberant, uh, but we don't do that with godly, spiritually-based, uh, uh, prayer-covered, led uh, counsel, but in our own spirit. And then on the other hand, some of us are prone to do the opposite, and we, and we actually put the Holy Spirit above the other two members of, of the Trinity. And again, we wouldn't say we're doing that. It's not in our mind, but that's really how we live and we value what we consider to be the gifts of the Holy Spirit above the grace and the words of the Father 
and the teachings, the commandments of the Son. We say spirit-led when what we really mean is spontaneous. Or we say spirit-led, uh, we, we, we look down on those who don't seem to be as free or as spirit-led as we think. We, we, don't, we look down on those who don't teach, who don't pray, who don't celebrate, who don't sing, uh, who don't give, or who otherwise don't worship God the way that we worship God, and we say that we worship him in the spirit. And so if we're confused over where we should be in this, we're in good company, because put yourselves, again, in in that picture I, I, I tried to build, put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples who woke up every morning with Jesus. Put your shoes in or put yourself in, in the shoes of the disciples in the very last night that they had together with Jesus. Think about the whirlwind of what those past days were like. Right? They, they uh, uh, had urged him not to go to Judea in the first place. We, we, we hear that they said, you're, you're going to be stoned there. And when they finally relented that he's going anyhow, we'll go with him at least, we'll all die together. When they arrived, they'd seen wonders, right? Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary anointed him with oil that was worth 300 days' wages. There was the triumphal entry where the crowds were just shouting and singing praises to God and praises to Jesus. Jesus cleansed the temple, overturned the tables, and then was in the temple, healing the blind and the lame in it, while the children cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus curses a fig tree and it withers. He's rebuking and he's confounding the the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's prophesying about the destruction of the temple. Last week we heard that that Jesus starts this first night after all of that by wrapping an apron or a towel around his waist and washing the feet of the disciples before the meal. And then he says this, and if you'll turn with me to John chapter 16. This will be where our teaching is from today. John chapter 16, uh, and we're going to start in verse 4 and go through verse 18. John chapter 16, starting at verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but I, you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. The disciples uh, were confused. They talk among themselves. They're asking, what is he saying? What does he mean? We, we don't understand Again, put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples. They have given up everything to follow Jesus. They are convinced that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, but they're not really sure what what that means, what that implies. And now Jesus says that he is going away for a little while. How long is a little while? How on earth can it be advantageous to us that he goes away? What can be better than the Son of God being here with us, walking with us, teaching, eating with us, showing us, leading us? And then who is this helper that Jesus says he'll send? The helper, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And and as we go through the Apostles' Creed, the the older English version uh, you might have heard is the Holy Ghost. Uh, Ghost and Spirit um, meaning the the same thing, one from the German, one from the Latin, but but really this presence, this breath of God. And the Holy Spirit, uh, we learn from the Bible, is present from the beginning to the end. If you go to the very beginning of your Bible, to Genesis 1, Uh, Verses 1 and 2, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then just like he's on the first page of the Bible, he's all the way in the last page of the Bible. You turn all the way to the back of that, in front of your concordance part, right? Uh, To Revelation chapter uh, 22. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The Spirit's active in the beginning. The Spirit's active in the end of the Bible as well. The Spirit's there because the Spirit is just like the Father, just like the Son. The Spirit is eternal. He is is fully God. The Bible tells us that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's, He's able to do all things. He's omniscient, he knows all things, and he is holy, set apart. The Holy Spirit's not a third God, he's not a lesser God, he is a third part of the Trinity. He's affirmed in in Jesus' great commission when he sends everyone out, uh, and when he commands his disciples to make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's also active. He's, he's active throughout the Bible and all the way until today and beyond into eternity. Right? He's not only present, but he's active. He's active in creation. He indwells the patriarchs and the prophets. The prophets prophesy about him. He, he's promised that prom those promises are fulfilled. He testifies at Jesus' baptism. He leads him into the wilderness through 40 days where he is tempted and tried. Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit and then promises the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He falls on the disciples as if fire from heaven. And he gives a fisherman who's known only for stepping on himself with his own words. He gives him the words that, that convict 3,000. Bill read, were cut to the heart. And they repent and believe. They turn to the gospel. He adds daily to those who are being saved. He emboldens the church through persecution. He testifies to our salvation. And he continues to bear witness to Christ and the gospel, to, the, and the, to Christ and the gospel, to the church and to the unsaved. The Holy Spirit was active from the beginning. He was active throughout history. He will be active forever. And in John chapter 16, we see some of the ways that he acts today. So how does the Holy Spirit act? First, the Holy Spirit is sent, right? Jesus promises that when he ascends into heaven, he will send the Holy Spirit. And then this promise is fulfilled in the day of Pentecost. And then it continues to be fulfilled in the lives of believers. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, where, where Bill read um, today, he says, uh, Act one. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and he said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it continues, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Holy Spirit indwells those who believe. And in case we, we see here that they're, that they're baptized and they receive the, the Holy Spirit, a few uh, chapters later in Acts chapter 10, they receive the Holy Spirit and Peter sees that and baptizes them. So, the Spirit is sent into this world, into the lives of all believers. And then the Holy Spirit convicts. Going back to, to uh, Acts chapter 2 again, in, in Peter's sermon, that uh, after they come out and they're speaking in all the different languages, Peter stands up and, and gives a, a sermon. And we see again that, that the Holy Spirit not only inspires those words, but then he convicts the people who are hearing so that they are cut to the heart and they are called to find out what they need to do and to repent. And there's a difference here between accusation and conviction. Bill and I were just talking about that as we were praying uh, or before we prayed before the service. Uh, th there's a difference between the way the Holy Spirit convicts and the way that Satan accuses. Satan, with his accusation, desires to inflict hopelessness and despair 
The Holy Spirit uses conviction to bring repentance from our sins through Christ. And in so, it says back in, in, in John chapter 16, he brings judgment on the ruler of this world and all who continue to follow him. The Spirit convicts us not only of our sin, but he convicts us concerning righteousness. He gives us conviction, boldness, and courage to speak out or, or, or to act for the glory of God. When we struggle with a decision or when, and when we waver, the Holy Spirit affirms the truth of the Bible. We see this in, in Paul's letter to, uh, to the Romans. He writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit sent, he convicts, uh, and then he leads, he guides. And just as the Spirit guided Jesus through the wilderness as he was tempted, the Holy Spirit guides us. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth and that he speaks the truth, speaking to us and speaking through us. Paul writes, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, and we impart this in words taught not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And not only does the Spirit guide us, he submits to God the Father and to the Son. He has the freedom to act as he desires. We read in Hebrews 2, 4, that he, it says he distributes his gifts by his own free will. Yet just as Jesus submitted to the Father, being sent into the world and even into the, onto the cross, the Holy Spirit submits from being sent to believers, to the very truths that he speaks back in and. John 16, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And in that submission, the Holy Spirit glorifies. He chooses to glorify Christ. There is no example in all of Scripture where the Holy Spirit calls attention to himself. The Holy Spirit does not glorify himself. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. He inspires us to give glory to Christ, to glorify Christ as Peter did by proclaiming the gospel, to glorify Christ by worshiping in spirit and in truth, to glorify Christ by rejoicing in our weaknesses, and to glorify Christ in the investment and practice of the Holy Spirit's gifts, not using them for our own desires and gains, but for Christ's. That's what Paul calls in, in 1 Corinthians 12 a still more excellent way. And that's why it's to our advantage that Christ has gone. He's, he's ascended into heaven and has sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. Because while Jesus walked the earth as a man, he walked as a man, one man. He was performing signs and miracles. He was teaching with authority. But because of his own willful submission, he was limited in his ministry. He could only be in one place at a time proclaimed the gospel to those who could hear his voice, and he was limited to, in the time that he could spend making disciples out of those who responded. I mean, to walk with Jesus in those days must have been amazing in the true sense of the word. To hear the teachings, to live with him, to eat with him, to, to speak to God face to face, to see the signs, the miracles, and the work. And yet he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, 
and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And think about that. Not only did Jesus say it was better that he leave, then he says that we will do greater works than he has. And this can only be because he has ascended on high to be our advocate, the one advocate with the Father, and because he has sent the Holy Spirit to be the power in our lives. See, Jesus Christ made a church out of a handful of disciples. He entrusted them with the gospel, and when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit who indwelled them. And out of that handful of disciples, that day, 3,000 believed. Every one of those 3,000, the Holy Spirit indwelt. The next day, they went out and proclaimed the gospel and more believed. And the Holy Spirit indwelled them. And those disciples made more disciples. And the church was soon not only in Jerusalem, but in all Judea, and in Samaria, and then in Syria, and Ephesus, and Macedonia, and Greece, and Rome, And every time there was the Holy Spirit indwelling more and more believers. And eventually there were believers who were indwelled with the Holy Spirit in Loudoun, New Hampshire. Greater works than these have been done and continue to be done because the Holy Spirit enables us to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples in our area. And in the missionaries that he enables to, and convicts to, uh, us to support, to bring the gospel and to make disciples in Maine and in New York and in Mexico and in Africa, Asia, Europe, the ends of the earth. All because Christ went to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit to us. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. And so if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, dwells in us, shouldn't our lives look differently than than they did before he was in us? So go back to that story, right, where where you're waking up and Jesus is in the house and and you're excited about this. When you woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit was in you. The Holy Spirit had come to visit forever. Shouldn't we, when we wake up in the morning, shouldn't we have that same, we should be like, I mean, I, I wake up and think, Holly's here for like only three more weeks, right? But what are we going to do? Shouldn't we wake up and say, the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's here. Woo! <laughs> what does he have for us to do? What is in the way? Jesus said that because the Holy Spirit is here, that we will do greater works than he did. Jesus raised the dead. We're going to do something greater than that? We are. We're going to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people who are dead. And from that, just like the prodigal son, when the father says, your brother was dead and now is alive. That's what the gospel does. We're going to see people come to life. We're going to see people healed. Not just physically, but spiritually. We are going to see greater things than what happened when Jesus was walking on the earth. Our lives ought to be different. Because the Holy Spirit was sent, we ought to go. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't stay home. When the Spirit fills Joshua, he sends him across the river to Jericho. When he fills Samson, Samson goes to battle. When he rushes upon David, 
David rushes into battle with Goliath. When the Spirit came to Ezekiel, he brought him into the temple of the Lord's glory. The Spirit filled, My filled Micah, and he confronted Israel's leaders. The Spirit, the Spirit filled John the Baptist, and he went out into the wilderness and proclaimed the coming of Christ. And the Spirit filled Paul, and he confronted Elimus. If the Spirit has filled us, it is for a purpose, not simply for our own, our own purposes, so that we can fill, or feel Spirit-filled. And because the Holy Spirit convicts, we should repent from our sins and be emboldened in our mission. Psalm 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the, deceit, the boastful and deceitful man. The Spirit doesn't sp share space with sin. If we are filled with the Spirit, we will be convicted by our, our sin and empowered to repent from it. And the Spirit doesn't shirk. If we are filled with the Spirit, we will be bold in the mission to which he has equipped and called us. And because the Spirit guides and speaks, we ought to follow and listen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Just as the Spirit led Jesus through the wilderness and through the trials and temptation, the Spirit will lead us. Our role in this is to trust him and to follow him, not on our own strength, but to acknowledge him and follow him in the paths that he has made straight. If we are to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and to follow him, we've got to seek his voice. As the Spirit speaks truth through Scripture, we need to be constantly in God's word. And because we're told that in God's word that the Spirit speaks through and in prayer, we ought to be constantly in prayer. And as the Spirit calls us to speak spiritual truths to each other, we must regularly gather in community with other believers to exhort, to consult, to teach, to learn, to challenge, and to encourage one another in the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit submits, we should submit. One of the marks of being indwelled with the Holy Spirit is our submission to each other, Ephesians 5. We read, read there, and do not get drunk with the wine, for that is that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he continues, addressing one another in the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So instead of claiming what we think we might believe we're entitled to or owed, we should submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, giving thanks to God always for everything, worshiping God together so that we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than ourselves. And because the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, we 
should glorify Christ. The, the, the Holy Spirit glorifies the name of Christ and thus glorifies God the Father through his proclamation, through his illumination of the gospel, the conviction of hearts, and the provision of spiritual gifts and fruits. If we are filled with the Spirit, we will bear fruit. And in doing so, we will partner with the Spirit in bringing glory to God. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what step of faith is God calling to you? The Holy Spirit was at the beginning of the world, hovering over the face of the water. It was his divine breath that brought man to life. It was, he was with the Father and the Son when humans first turned their backs on him and sinned, hid from his presence. He was there when, when God drove him, mankind, from the, from the garden. The Holy Spirit was with God when Cain killed Abel, and he has witnessed every sin since then through today. Every sin that's kept man alienated from God, including the sins that you and I have committed in our rebellion against God. And when God sent his son to save us from that alienation, the Holy Spirit was there proclaiming who Christ was, testifying to his identity, leading him through the wilderness, sustaining him through temptation, filling him with power, and proclaiming his ministry. The Holy Spirit was with God, when, with Jesus, when, when God raised him from the dead. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, it was the Holy Spirit who was sent to proclaim, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses, or I'm sorry, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you have not confessed this truth, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord, not believed in your heart, not accepted that there is nothing in you that makes you worthy of anything other than conviction, and that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen closely. The Holy Spirit is here today. He is calling you to respond, to open your heart, to turn from your ways, and to turn towards him to receive salvation. Are you ready to take that step? And if you are here as a follower of Christ, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. What step of faith is the Holy Spirit sent into your life to send you out on? What sin is the Holy Spirit convicting you of to turn from? What righteous mission is he giving you the conviction to follow and to be bold in? What path is he making straight so that you can follow in it? How is he modeling submission so that you can submit what is the step of faith he is calling you to, to glorify God with your entirety, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Let us pray. Dear Lord, it's, it's hard for us to, to consider um, that somehow, uh, though we know in our minds uh, that 
that you send your spirit to indwell the lives of each one of us who believes. Um, we don't act as if we truly believe that. We don't live every moment uh, excited, uh, uh, convicted, uh, following, hearing, uh, submitting, and glorifying you as we should if the Holy Spirit truly is in us. Uh, Lord, continue to, to whittle off those, those hard edges that, that keep or that quench the Spirit. And may we fully submit to your will in our lives through that Spirit. May we be bold to go out on the mission you've called us to, to proclaim your gospel, to make disciples uh, of all nations to the ends of the earth. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks. I'm going to ask uh, uh, ushers to come forward for communion. On the first Sunday of every uh, month, we normally practice uh, communion. This is not something that is uh, a magical rite of any sort. Um, if you are, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what it, it means, but what, there is nothing magical in, in, in this bread, in, in the cup, uh, that, that will somehow save lives, uh, but it is something that we have been commanded to do in remembrance of, uh, of Christ and what he, uh, what he did in his ministry. So uh, let me pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll uh, receive communion and take it together. Dear Lord, thank you for this, uh, this remembrance that we, we can, uh, through, through the symbols of, of bread and, and, and the cup, that, that we might remember who you are, that your body that, you, that was broken for us and your blood that was shed. And so may we uh, truly remember you uh, and your words, your commandments, uh, and your actions as we take this together. Pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Paul writes in the in first Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.